Okay, good evening. Today is Wednesday, May 24th, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, this week's chapter step is uh, We Agnostics, and our speaker tonight is Roby. Thank you, Roby. Take it away. Okay, thank you, Roberto, and um, thank you, everyone. So my name is Roby L., and I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, and uh, I'm really happy to get to share tonight, and I'm grateful for um, the opportunity, um, you know, to be forced to learn more about the big book and to be forced to learn more about speaking in front of people. So two things. Um, and so I, I'm going to talk about the chapter 10, uh, two employers as the third of the three relationship trap chapters. Um, and it, keeping with the theme, I thought I would qualify with um, a focus on uh, my disease in the different jobs I held. I'm not covering every job, but I'm just going to do a sampling. So um, first job, age seven, babysitter for a nearby, for a neighbor. Um, and I, I remember the pantry. I didn't like the way it smelled. The food was stale, but I kept going back. I don't think I'd been given permission or invited to eat that food. Um, so that's an early memory. Um, I'm going to fast forward, but uh, lots in between these two um, events. But next is medical school. So as a medical student, I, at that point, had learned ways to deal with my tendency, my compulsive eating, my overeating. Um, I had some nifty tricks that included over-exercising, purging, um, and um, restricting. Um, what I didn't realize was that they had these bads, the, the side effect, which is that the binges got worse. Um, I didn't see that connection. So with all of those things going on, I had to isolate. I couldn't, I missed out on the camaraderie and the, the assistance I could have had because when you're, when you're binging and purging and restricting, you can't be around people. Um, I would have to find a remote place to study because I might need to be near a bathroom or I might um, not want to eat when everybody else is. Um, and the night before tests was the worst. I I kept very little food in my apartment, but my roommate was well-stocked and um, I was very proud. You know, I never ate junk food, at least not in public. But the night before a test, I would be raiding her cabinets she would be off studying. And then I'd have to drive around trying to find ways to replace the food. It was just terrible. And so then I wouldn't sleep and, um, and I don't know how I got through. Um, but I did. And so the next was, um, the first year out of medical school, you go to, you do an internship where you're, you're in the hospital a lot and working long hours. And, um, we would get these meal tickets when we were on call and most people threw them away, but for me, it like burned a hole in my pocket and the cafeteria wouldn't even be open. And I'd be like making runs by the, the cafeteria to see when is it going to open? And as soon as it opened, I'd be in there because I had to eat to get it out of the way. Um, but the eating was like, well, it just got more. I would just eat more and more. And then I would have to find a bathroom remotely where nobody would notice how many times I went in or flushed. Um, and then I might even eat more and binge some more. And by the time I started working, my colleagues were done or my peers. 
And they were like ordering out and cozying up to watch TV while I was in a stupor um, trying to make sense of my patients and be ready for presenting them the next day. Um, and it didn't go well. And I'm going to say that's why I, I still get nervous. I, that's not why. I also get nervous when I talk in front of people, but I thought of those things as unrelated. Um, the next was when I was, um, so, so isolation definitely uh, made my disease worse or, you know, periods of isolation is where my disease flared. They tracked together. So when I got married and when I was done with my training, I, I wasn't isolated anymore. I'm married, had kids. Um, the disease took a different uh, uh, kind of turn. Um, I had seen the connection between the restricting and the binging um, and the purging and the binging that I was going to binge more if I, and I, I made the calculation, it isn't worth it. I've got to stop binging. I've, I mean, I've got to stop purging. It, it's, it never pays off. The, the accounting shows that it's not, I'm not coming out ahead. And so I had mostly stopped purging um, and I had mostly stopped skipping meals, but I was still managing my disease constantly. And at work, I, I had come across just a newfound sense of control because I had a rule where I would never eat anything but what I packed when I was at work. And that I stuck by it. That worked. I never was gorked out on food while, um, while at work. But what would I do? The second I would get out of work, I would hustle to the car, hustle to the daycare to pick up my son, hustle him into the car, and then I would grab his lunchbox. And I would eat his spoiled lunch on the way home because I had to have food in me. And I could not imagine that drive home without it. Too painful. Um, and then like a year or two went by and I decided I got to stop that. So I, I made a new rule, no more eating in the car. And so instead I would eat the lunch. I would get as far as to the garbage can where I was going to throw out the lunch and I would stand there eating it. Um, and then you know, there's this distinct memory of going to work one day um, and I'm walking into the building and I mean, I've got a lot of stuff to do, right? But what am I Maybe thinking on the way? 14 minutes. Okay. What am I thinking on the way from the car to the building is my arms are jiggly. My belly feels big. How am I going to get through to lunch? And I just felt, I, I, I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm in a nightmare. I don't want to live like this. Is this really all I can think about? I had no other option. I had to manage it constantly. So, so that's, that's basically my qualifying is to say um, that I guess two things, two points that, that I don't think I made in there, but that I want to make one is that I didn't see the connection between, I thought I had two problems, one low intelligence and low ability and two greed and overeating. And it just sucked that I got both of those things. Like I did not see them as connected. I didn't see that my overeating was affecting my ability and that my abilities were affecting my overeating. I didn't, I thought of them as separate. The second thing is that the picture that I presented wasn't, I wasn't disheveled. I didn't smell like alcohol. I didn't have candy bar wrappers, you know, falling out of my car the picture that my disease took to any employer, if they, you know, had a criticism and needed to, um, you know, say, well, what's wrong with that Roby? I think they would have said she's entitled. And so it like do, preparing this has made me see that entitlement is really just a dressed up version of fear 
And that's how my fear manifests to others. Um, because when you're managing all those things, you know, you're not right. Um, and you know that you can't stay late and you can't take more phone calls because you've got to, you've got to eat, you've got to burn it off. You've got to get outside. You've got to be, you know, you're fragile and fragile people are entitled because they don't think they can do it and they need to be treated special. And so I'm going to come back to that. But, um, but now to get to the book, like, so, so what's going on in this chapter, um, the, we're being told, um, we're, we're actually the, the author of the big book turns it over to an employer who is saying, don't make the mistake I made. Um, you can, you can help these people and you're going to feel bad if you don't. Um, and you're going to miss out on some good employees. And so they actually give just real specific guidelines about how to talk to, um, an employee who you suspect is an alcoholic. Um, and, and there's good advice. A lot of it mirrors all the advice we get on how to sponsor and how to talk to new, um, to, to, uh, 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 what, um, what was new sponsees, right. Or, um, but here's what it says on page 148 is it says it boils down to this. No man should be fired just because he's alcoholic. If he wants to stop, he should be afforded a real chance. If he cannot or does not want to stop, he should be discharged. Exceptions are few. Um, so he says this method will accomplish several things. It'll permit the rehabilitation of some good men. So good men are lost to this disease is one of the points. And at the same time, you'll feel no reluctance. You'll, it'll give you a way to cut ties. You'll know that you did the right thing and you don't have to have employees who aren't doing the job anymore. Um, so so that that's a big part of this. I What I thought was really neat was the emphasis on um, again, repeating things that we've learned in the big book is like, you can trust these people. If they're in recovery, you can trust them. And um, I'm jumping ahead a little bit to say that I, I feel that way as an employee now, they can trust me. Um, and, uh, and, and so I think that's something is they're saying these people, you know, he, the last line, he talks about how he's got two salesmen that are recovered alcoholics and they do the job of five. Um, so making a real pitch for the recovered alcoholic. And that's pretty cool. Or the recovered overeater. But here's the thing. When I read the relationship chapters, I get into this, I, I'm really reading them thinking, especially I think the to the what, but, but this one too, I'm thinking, whoa, like, where does this compassion come from? Like, I can see like a conversation with a wife that can buoy them up to get through a night with their drunk husband. But like what Lois is describing is super, like superhuman, the, the forgiveness, the tolerance, the, so where does that come from? And I really have to, had to think uh, a lot about that. Like, well, wait a second, could I, here I have the disease. Would I be as tolerant as Lois? Would I be the employer? Am I always, I mean, how many times, but here's the thing. If I can't forgive myself, how am I ever going to forgive a, an employee or a fellow coworker? If I don't have self-compassion, then it's not going to be there. So it, if I'm judging myself, I'm going to judge others. And I, I'm prone to judging myself. Right. So, so this is what this chapter taught me is, and these chapters is that I have to believe so deeply down in my heart 
that I have a disease. And my background is that I'm the daughter of an alcoholic. Um, and I watched my dad go off to AA meetings um, my whole life from a very young age. And he would come home and yell at my mom because the spatula wasn't, he couldn't find the spatula. And so me and my siblings really had this concept that dad says he has a disease, but I would say he's just an a-hole, you know, like that, that, that disease is, 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 is an itis, but it's not, it's not what he's calling it. And, and so that's very deep in me is a judgment of people who have this disease because, and as a doctor, you don't, there's no biopsy that you can do that reveals our disease. And we, we have to say with, with chest x-rays, when you're looking for pneumonia, a chest x-ray, they say is yesterday's newspaper. Like it doesn't really show things until it's really bad. And so you might get a reassuring x-ray and it's okay. And our disease is the same way, but worse, right? Like we, I'm an example of a body that wasn't showing it. I was suffering in a normal body, um, but it was rampant. The disease was rampant. So if it's that hard to detect, to the outsider. I think, um, I guess what I, the point I want to make with my story is it can just look like entitlement. It can seven look like minutes, Roby. seven. Yes. Okay. It can just look like somebody who thinks they're too good and they shouldn't have to do this work. Um, and so that's one of the things that I, I can say my disease and my dark past, like having these selfish motives and being a worker with so much to hide for so many years has become a blessing because I recently came across, there's a, a somebody at our office who got reviews that, that named her as entitled and she told me about it. And I had so much compassion for her because I could just see the fear and I could see her compassion as dressed up fear. And, and that felt so good not to be in a place of judgment and to feel like, you know, there's, everybody has their angle in my office. They all end up with a title. And I thought, I want to be the entitlement officer. I want to work with entitlement because I know what it is now. Okay. But that's, but there's one more thing I want to share. And so, so deeply believing that this is a disease. Here are four things that help me as a mantra. One, I am the problem. I have the problem, right? Unequivocally, I have the problem. And when things are going wrong and I'm disturbed, I am the problem. And that's a hard line. But the next thing is number two, it's not my fault. And I say that to myself all the time. I have the problem. I am the problem. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. And I, if there's time, I'll get into that more, but let's just go with that. Um, I can't fix it. Uh, I can't fix my problem. I, my life has shown me that my solutions only make it worse. Um, but higher power can't. And, and so if there's a little time I, I want to get into, so I have the problem. I am the problem. I, I think, oh, you, you guys get that. Um, it's not my fault. So saying that it's not my dad's fault, I'm finally at that place where I can say it's not my dad's fault. It, and it's not his parents' fault and it's not their parents' fault. This is a, we're sick and this is a cultural thing. And the way I reacted to a culture effect as I became an overeater, but it comes down to this for me. My true nature, I really believe is love and acceptance and collaboration. There's like an energy to that. That's what I am. But my culture has told me that I'm supposed to be a fighter, 
a defender, an achiever. I'm supposed to stand out from the crowd. I'm supposed to not be a wimp and I'm not supposed to get taken advantage of. And those were things that were deeply ingrained in me. And you know what? They don't, they don't align with what I am. They have a whole different energy. And so when I'm, if you tell me, Roby, go kick butt, I'm going to be nervous. I'm going to be angry. I'm not going to, but if you tell me, I want you to just give in, adapt and make everybody just get along. And if that's my job, I do know how to do that. When I take away the fear, it's a much more calm kind of job for me. So when I say, so here's the, the image I have. We're like falcons, little falcons. We're falcons in a zoo, right? And, but we, we lived in a nest where we were going to grow up knowing how to hunt and mate. Um, I don't know what else they do. We were going to know how to do that. But somebody came and took us from our nest and they put us in a zoo. And now we like, we eat different food and we, we have different, you know, day-to-day -day activities and we don't even know how to mate anymore. Well, that's how I see it. Like, if you tell me your job is to stand out, rise above, defend, I'm like a falcon in a zoo. I'm not going to be good at it. And you're going to see some bizarre behavior. Um, and so that's the part where it's not my fault is I look at anybody when I see that they're entitled or when I, um, well, I, I mean, I still will judge somebody, but then I can catch myself and go, they can't help it. It's not their fault. Um, and, and that's the only way that, so it's kind of like I have um, certain muscle strength and I go to a physical therapist and he's taught me that before I go for a run, I have to activate the muscles that will take the stress off of those overworked muscles. And so the way I, it's like my, my warm up is, is to think they have a problem. It's not their fault. They can't help it. They can't fix it. Higher power can. And when I've got that revved up, I look at people and it, they're not as offensive. They're not as hard to tolerate. Um, and that's the only way that I can imagine being like this employer or being like, like, um, Lois, I think, who wrote uh, to the wives. Two minutes, um, Roby. Okay. So, um, so let's see. So I think what Lois and what this employer are describing is, is, is so the they're describing giving a sick person the medicine that they need. So what they really need is the twelve steps, right? What we each needed was every single one of those twelve steps to get better. What we need. But the, the employer can't give them the 12 steps. Lois can't give her husband the 12 steps. What she can give them is the medicine that they need. And that's love, tolerance, patience, and kindness. Words that describe those things won't do it. Only the action will. And that's the therapy for the employee or for the husband or for the spouse. Um, and so, you know, each of us, Today, you know, the alcoholic might have been easier to recognize even than the overeater. Um, and there's other addictions too. But what we can be is a source of the medicine for others. And as an employee now, I, I'm still not kicking butt. I'm not writing papers and getting my name in journals and like, oh, this, the 12 steps has catapulted me to the top of my field. But when I sit in my workroom, and somebody gossips, I know how to, I know how to diffuse that. 
Um, when somebody's down, I, I just have more skills. I'm, I'm not, I'm not working miracles, but I, I am giving out some medicine. Um, and that's just like love to the people and care for the people around me. Um, and so I think that's the call is just, you know, recover, do these 12 steps, stop separating and finding reasons why you can't do it. I'm Robbie. Okay. And, um, and be that medicine for, for the people at work. Okay. That was a blur. I hope I said something that made sense. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Roby, thank you so much for your chair. Uh, and my apologies to the group. I, I, I read the wrong um, chapter and that was totally my mistake. I am sorry. Um, so uh, we will now open the meeting for questions or for three-minute chairs, as this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate as specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. Um, if you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions, or star nine um, if you are on the phone. Uh, and the Zoom host will call the raise hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Uh, would the timekeeper please set a timer for three minutes for each chair and announce when time is up? If the speaker is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. All right, Zach, take it away, man. Sounds good. Sherry, go ahead, please. Thank you. <clears throat> Hi, thank you so much. Hi, my name is Sherry M. And I am a compulsive overeater, um, trying to get my step one experience back again. And I am so grateful that I landed in this meeting today and heard you, Roby. Roby, that was a beautiful share. And, um, you know, I love hearing about the relationship chapters and the other three chapters. And I don't think a lot of people pick the employer chapter. That's just my opinion. And so hearing about it was super helpful for me. And, and I really, I just, all of it, I want to listen to it again, but I loved a couple of things that um, program has taught me and the steps have taught me for sure is that I don't have a part in a resentment. The whole thing is mine. <laughs> the entire thing is mine. It's my reaction to life. And, and that is one of the biggest gifts to know that there's nothing that anyone else needs to do in order to change this. This is only uh, my work with the steps and the higher power, for sure. I know that and that's in my blood cells. Like that's just the first thing. It's me, it's me, it's me. And regarding work, um, a lot of the things that you were talking about to me sounded like, again, it's like my husband's my biggest teacher. All of my just all my things that pop up are my biggest teacher and people and the job is a big teacher too. And so what I get to see is uh, which character um, defects are still coming up and what is what is the thing? So for me, it's perfectionism. And, um, and it, rears, uh, it rears its head um, that people are not allowed to make mistakes. They can't, and you know, and so I look at like, how is this, how is this, uh, how do I treat myself with mistakes? And, um, wow, geez had a little emotion come up, but um, I, I'm kind of like three strikes, you're out, right? So if someone at work is continually making mistakes, like I just didn't start in the work field like that. Like that just, I, I'm the, they knew me by dotting her I's and crossing her T's. 
I, you know, with, with the job, the career that I used to have, everyone would know me. Oh, Sherry's, they're going, it's going right to fund. I mean, it's just like, and, and I could not allow for any errors or any mistakes. And so when it happens continually by other people that's affecting me, because my name's on it, oh boy, is it, it's very, very uncomfortable for me. And what I see is that um, I must still be so hard on myself, like under the surface there. And, and that fear of like, you know, you're just out. Like I just said, three strikes, you're out. What kind of world is that? That's not a world with a loving, higher, higher, you know, caring, higher power. And so I just, it was so good to hear you and to reflect on that and to see that maybe this, uh, maybe there's some inventory here that I missed, but that I, it kind of triggered something inside because I've been doing the um, inventory, like quick 10 steps on it. But I feel like there's something under the surface here of something that has not fully been healed and transformed yet. And um, and thank you so much. And I'll just end there. But I'm going to take your number down and call you. I just loved hearing you. Thank you so much. Nancy G, please go ahead. Hi, Nancy G, compulsive overeater. Sorry, my video's off, but I'm driving, and I don't want to make anybody nauseous. So, Roby, oh my God, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, because you know what, sometimes you know something, but then you hear it a little bit differently, and it just makes all the difference. That's what I felt happened with, with your talk today. And the thing that I heard, which was so interesting for me, and so powerful, is just the idea of every person I come across, when my initial thought is to judge them, is just to think, wow, they're doing the best they can. There's something going on with them that I may not be aware of. I'm going to ask God right now to help them with whatever it is, and I'm going to ask God to help me. And I realized that um, I have an issue with my sister right now, and I'm blaming her for something, and I went, because what's happening is I'm really blaming myself. And so I want to turn it on myself to go, I'm doing the best I can. I really, really am. And if I could do better, I would. And I don't want to project my whatever's going on onto my sister. I just want to love her. I mean, today's her birthday, along with Harlan and a million other people out there. And, um, and I just, you know, it's like, I feel like, um, what the previous share said, it's like, it just feels like something's percolating inside me. I don't feel like I have the whole thing yet. But what I feel is a seed that I planted, you helped to water. Thank you, Roby. And now I just have to watch it grow and see what happens because I think there's something really, really powerful in this concept, which sounds so simple, but putting it into practice is more powerful than I can even imagine at this moment. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. I really, really appreciate this this meeting and I appreciate you and thank you everybody who's doing service at this meeting. God bless us all. Thank you, Nancy. Meredith, go ahead. <clears throat> hey everybody, I'm Meredith B um, in Nashville, Tennessee, the recovered compulsive overeater. Um, I loved your share, Roby. I um, I love the zoo analogy, and um, 
these concepts are so beautiful. Um, talk, when you talked about the medicine, um, and really there's a lot of like mirror sort of imagery and like looking back at myself, I'm really just being a mirror or maybe the person in front of me is a mirror to me. So they're doing the best they can. Oh my gosh. I, I just jumped to so often. I jumped to uh, like was previously shared. I just had no tolerance for incompetence or mistakes or I don't know any, just about anything. I could find a reason to not tolerate anything. Um, and I've really lightened up a lot because of this program. Um, also the medicine, oh, that's so beautiful. That's the medicine. The medicine we need is love, tolerance, patience, and kindness. And, um, I needed that medicine too, but I didn't know it. Um, I, it wasn't something, I don't know, this pro, this program is just like, I just kind of feel my way through it and I never know what I'm doing and just finding my way. But when I look back, um, I see I've made progress because I've, oh, it's been excruciating, but I've gone out on a limb maybe, or I've taken a chance and I've revealed something or I've been vulnerable and I was met with, oof, I was met with those things. And, um, it's life-changing. It's life-changing. Like I didn't combust. I didn't fall apart. And I, I mean, in fact, it made me stronger and then I could be that for somebody else. It's just amazing and beautiful. Um, so thanks for your beautiful share. I'll pass. Thanks, Meredith. Roberto, go ahead. You should be able to unmute yourself. Um, hey guys, I'm Roberto. I'm a composite puppet eater. Uh, grateful for the speaker. Thank you so much, Roby, for your wonderful share. There was one thing that really stood out to me and I wrote it down and, and it was, um, you know, along the lines of, you know, it's not my fault. It's not my dad's fault. It's not my parents' fault. Um, and the compassion component of that. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, I get this, I, I see it. it, it just, it made sense. Uh, it's not his fault. He was probably abused too, and his parents too, but you know, from that to my heart, to be able to feel compassion, um, I couldn't do that until I, I properly apologized for my, for my part. Um, and, you know, I've worked the steps three times, first time, um, I made some financial amends to my dad. Hey, I stole some money from you to do this and that. Here's the money back. I'm sorry. I was selfish, dishonest, and, and greedy. Done. Uh, but making emotional amends, uh, that was just, I just, I couldn't. I couldn't. And the second time I worked the steps, you know, the ego knows that eight and nine are coming. So he's doing a great job at hiding stuff in four and five. So I swear to my sponsor that I didn't have a resentment towards my dad. While I was telling my therapist that I had fantasies about my dad dying uh, because that's, that's what I thought was freedom, my dad passing away. Uh, and I felt terrible about it, um, but it's what I was feeling and that's what I shared. But I could swear my to my sponsor that I didn't have a resentment towards my dad because I didn't want to get to my part. I knew it was going to get to nine step and God was going to ask me to make amends to him and I wasn't ready for that. Um, and, you know, I... 
failed to enlarge my spiritual life and nearly came back to the food. And this time I worked the steps again and it was really, really apparent to me that I, I had to own up to my part and go to my dad and say, dad, I'm sorry that I've been withholding love from you. I'm sorry that I just haven't been, you know, a great son and trying to, you know, uh, be close to you and, and tell you that I love you and all those things. And he didn't tell me that he loved me. Um, he went into another whole thing in there, but that was okay. Because a few days after that, <clears throat> he was talking to somebody and I heard him say to that person that he loved them. I don't even know who the guy was. And the first thought was, man, how come my dad can't tell me that he loves me? But he's telling this guy who I don't even know who it is that he loves him. And the second thought was, Imagine if I couldn't tell my kids that I love them, you know, if I couldn't tell them, because that's, that's what I think my dad is. I think my dad loves me. He just is unable to say it. And I felt compassion for him. Imagine the pain of not being able to tell your son that you love him. I have two kids and I tell them I love them all the time. And if I put myself in my dad's shoes and I'm unable to tell my kids that I love them, that will bring me great pain. And I know he's not aware of the pain, but I know that he feels it. And I can feel compassion for my dad. Um, and try to be loving towards him, even if he is not able to be loving towards myself. Um, and that's what was brought up when you shared. Um, really grateful for that. And um, thank you, Roby. I, th I think you did a great job. Thank you so much for your chair. I pass. Thanks, Roberto. Bessie, please go ahead. Hi, I'm Bessie, compulsive overeater. Um, Roby, thank you so much. For your share, that was that was really beautiful. And um, you know, admittedly, I haven't, I don't know that I've ever read this chapter um, in its entirety. So it's really cool to get an overview of the relationship chapters. And um, I, 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 I'm just hearing this theme of like of compassion that I just think is so beautiful. And um, and I've heard for many, many, many years, like someone, I have an older brother who's, um, just not in program, but just has, um, just shared nuggets with me my entire life. And, um, for the longest time I've heard him talk about this idea of like, you know, being a parent and, you know, forgiving yourself and how you can't extend that to other people. And I think it's, it's, that's the cool thing about this program is you can hear things for years and years, and then you experience it in your heart and you're like, oh, oh, I actually know what that means now, you know, and it's, it's just such a beautiful thing. Um, and I, I'm just, I guess the relationship that's coming to mind for me is, um, is, is parenting, you know, myself and, you know, I, I love the part about, you know, losing marbles over, over spatula after an AA meeting. And, you know, um, for me, I lost my marbles this weekend over, um, you know, my daughter who's graduating from high school, losing one of my earrings. Um, and, um, and I just love that, like that relationship. It's just, it's so clear that like, we just have these instincts, you know, to love and protect our children. And then when I went to her graduation, just hearing all this, like, we have to shoot for the stars, you know, we have to succeed. And I don't want to knock people who are sharing that message, but that's, that's like that, um, you know, that's what, that's what, where I stray from that God-given instinct, you know, to just love, like, like, just love this, this child, you know, that I've been entrusted with. Um, and so I love that idea of it's, it's, it's not my fault, you know, God can remove it. And there's just so much hope in that. 
you know, um, and, and that little by little, you know, I love the idea of not doing incredible things at work. Um, and, and that is like, for me, like just being on time, um, being polite at meetings, um, you know, asking like, like thinking, well, let me ask about her instead of always talking about, you know, it's just these little things that just build. And then with time and, and I just give credit. I, I had, you know, food in my office that was just like totally derailing me from being able to think of anyone else, you know, a year and a half ago. Um, and so it's, it's just these little changes and I'm Uh, really grateful. Okay. I'm just grateful for your share, Roby. Thank you. Thanks, Bessie. I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording.